Librarians, librarians, when you've got questions, they're the ones to help you find what you're looking for, and maybe even something more. Just ask, ask that librarian. Hello, I'm Jim. And I'm Robin. And we're back. We're back. Your friendly neighborhood librarians are back for season two. It's been a while, right? It's been so long. This is exciting. Many, many months. It's good to see you again. Uh, Yeah, we haven't seen each other in months. (laughs) (laughs) Say that like we don't work next to each other, but we are back and we're super excited to be back here, right? And we have a lot in store for the next few episodes. We do. We're really, we're dialing it up here. We are so excited. We have a huge season coming for you. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be just a blast the whole time through. I know. Long awaited. We apologize. We missed you. You missed us. I guess we should talk about kind of a new format, right? Yeah, we do. We decided to jazz it up a little bit. Jazzy. It's very jazzy. It is very jazzy. We are really excited about it. There's going to be more of your friendly neighborhood librarians. What are we doing? Smaller episodes, a longer segment, but in a smaller package. You know what I mean? More frequently. More frequently. First, who do we have? Special guest. We have the one and only Adrian Petinelli, the director of the Henrietta Public Library and a fantastic human being. Yeah, and with Adrian, we're going to be talking about what? The best the books. The best books of 2021. Your favorites, my favorites, her favorites. That's right. Books we missed. Books we missed. There's a lot of them. Yes. And the consensus critics picks, we're going to di- uh, kind of dive into that, what, the 100 most notable books of 2021 that the New yeah. York Times put out? Yeah. So pause. Go look at the list. Get on the same page as us. Get there's, ready for some talking. There's a lot to go over. There's so much. And there's so little time left in oh this year. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. And after that, we're going to kind of pin down one of the books, probably the most popular book. Is it the best book? I don't know. The most popular book of 2021, at least as far as this library goes. I know it had the most holds on it. And which book is that? The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna. Yeah, we read that along with uh, library page, Roberta. Our favorite book club buddy. Yep, she's returning. And uh, we're just going to break that book down and go over it. So again, you can pause. If you haven't read that, you're probably one of the, what? Three people on planet Maybe. Earth. Maybe two, yeah. two people. Yeah, yeah, two people. I think two or three. That's the over under there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So pick it up, read it, and then you can come back and listen. But if you read it already, we're gonna have some fun with that book. It's a good one. So why don't we dive in? Let's do it. First, we're gonna be discussing the best books of 2021, Ugh. the books we missed, all the hits, the lists, everything great, and we have a special guest, Adrian Petinelli, the director of the Henrietta Public Library. Yes. Welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. Of course. We're so excited that you're here. I'm like your podcast's biggest fan, so this is a really <laughs> exciting day for me. I've been looking forward to it. We figured coming back, you know, the first episode, we're like, let's get our number one fan. Let's make this easy. <laughs> we had the privilege of being at a book talk at HPL yes. in November, which was so fun. I had so much fun. And we talked about the best books of the year, so we are really excited to talk about this with you. Yeah. It's an endless topic, right? It we is. could talk about it for three days. Yes, absolutely. It's fun. Yeah. So where do we want to start? Well, so I did a little preparation for today because I felt like I needed to do a little homework for this for sure. this conversation. So I started out by looking at the New York Times 100 notable books for 2021 and their 10 best books for 2021. Yeah. And those lists are jam packed. And what I didn't realize, what I didn't think about during this year is that so many huge authors had books come out this year. I mean, think about it. There was a Jonathan Franzen. There was a Colson Whitehead, Kazuo Ishiguro, Sally Rooney, Richard Powers, Willis. Sinka, so many books. Came it's a murderer's out row of uh, famous really authors. Is, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I was looking back through this list and I was like, I can't believe that all these books came out this year. Like I'm thinking about Salika Jaoud's Between Two Kingdoms. I feel like that book came out two years ago. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it just seems like this year has been going on forever. That's the time warp effect we're all in. Yeah. So it's books I notice on our shelves that we purchase. Haven't gone to all of them yet. Which yeah. have you read any of these ones on the lists yet? I've read quite a few. Good. Uh, Good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That makes um, one of us. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Clara and the Sun. Yes. I, I don't know how to say that author's name. You just said it. Kazuo Ishiguro. That's oh. what it is, I believe. Is that it? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I love his books. Mm-hmm. And Clara and the Sun was definitely high on my favorites this year, but it was way at the beginning. It was of the way year, at the beginning. So yeah. I thought it was a last year yes. book. Yeah. I was very surprised to see it on the notables. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh, that was this year? Mm-hmm. His books are so quiet, mm-hmm. but powerful. I just love this like slow burn and he just gives you just enough so you kind of know what's going on and this is a pretty high concept book Mm -hmm. so it's this special friend that people buy for their teenagers and it's an android you know Mm -hmm. it's never totally explained but kind of it's slowly revealed through the special friend's perspective what's going on in society at this point and let's say it's like a 30 40 50 year future it's still recognizable but it's different and you could just see he just kind of pushed forward some trends and it's like this is where this goes and I just loved that slow reveal and it was a great book I didn't realize that was the premise of that book it's going to shoot to the top of my list I feel like because that's right up my alley and loved his previous works too so that's I'm on board with that one of my favorite books this year and everybody who has listened to this podcast knows this is Migrations Mm -hmm. by Charlotte McConaughey oh my gosh what a book what a book Jim has read it yeah it's the top of my list as far as fiction you talked about it at Henrietta program I did yeah I was like let me pick another one it was one of my favorite books I don't want to say it was my favorite book of the year but it was one of my favorite books of the year it is this crazy look at this woman who is following Arctic turns from Greenland down to Antarctica and it is just a wild ride. And it, you don't think it's going to be, but it really is. She gets on this deep sea fishing boat and goes from Greenland with this motley crew of fishermen. I love that crew. Oh my gosh. It's just a wild ride. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it at length on this podcast before, so I don't need to really go into all the details. And that's the book I did gift to a lot of people this past yeah. holiday season, because it's one of those books that as long as you know who your audience is, who you're giving the book to, they're going to love it. At the very least, they're going to respect it and enjoy it. And it's a quick read too. Yeah, it's a so very you're not quick like read. gifting a 500 page book to somebody. The one bad thing about that book is that it's one of those books where the next book you read suffers in comparison. I read the much hyped Midnight Library, which I think a lot of people love, which is fine, but uh, by Matt Haig, I believe. And uh, Mm -hmm. it was just, uh, it didn't do it for me. I was like, this is not catching me the way that Migrations did. Yeah. Well, also, I'm really suspicious of any book that like has library in it because I feel like they're pandering to us and I don't want to be pandered to. I know what you mean. Except for the Susan Orlean book, which was amazing. the best. <laughs> that was the book that saved my reading in the beginning of quarantine. I was like, oh, reading is great. I forgot. <laughs> so my favorite books of the year, none of them really appeared on the times list, unfortunately. Ditto. Yeah, it's okay. And it was the Seth Rogen yearbook, which I know is just kind of like dumb stoner comedy, but it was hilarious. It came at the perfect time. I was going on vacation. It was like an airplane read. And I was like, I just need something like light. And I just got so into it. It's not really a memoir. It's just a bunch of stories from his life. I find him very endearing. I know some people are love-hate with him, but I, I like him, and the stories are hilarious. If you're just looking for a fun, easy read, and I've heard the audiobook is great, too, so if you want that, go for that. 
that. I really enjoyed that book. I wouldn't say it's my favorite book of the year, but it's up, up there. there. It's up there. It made me happy and I remember it and I recommend it to a lot of friends. I feel like the audiobook for that one would be just fantastic. Definitely. Yeah. Audiobooks by comedians are always so good. listening to. I'm listening to the new Phoebe Robinson right now and it's amazing. I'm like halfway through it, but I think I'd still put it like yeah. high on my best of the year list because mm-hmm. part of it's the performance. Yeah. It does add so much. This has been happening to me a lot the past couple of years where I used to always be a strictly fiction guy. I've talked about this on the podcast where like 90% of what I read in a year was fiction and maybe a little bit nonfiction, but I don't know. I've just found myself having an easier time reading nonfiction and memoirs for whatever reason. I don't know if it has to do with the world and it's just easier for me to get into it, but a couple books. One is Changes, which is the oral history of Tupac Shakur, who if you're in my generation kind of grew up following him and everything that was going on in his life and death. It's a great story. At the end, it makes you wonder what it would be like if he was still here and the impact he'd have on social movements, which I think he could be a big difference maker. We were still around. So that was really interesting. Made me want to listen to a lot of his music, which I love about any kind of book what makes you want to do something after, yeah. right? Like, so that was, that's a big one for me. And I don't think it's talked about much. And lastly, I'll say the last book I read was The Night the Lights Went Out by Drew Magary, who's a blogger for Deadspin, which doesn't exist anymore. He's currently somewhere else right now, but it's about a traumatic brain injury he suffered maybe three or four years ago and what he goes through to kind of regain what he lost, which he doesn't, you know, ultimately does not do. But I had an uncle who suffered a similar injury back in 2001. And you see what happens with people and how they go through it. But this really puts you in their shoes and he deals with the depression and everything that, that comes along with that injury. So highly recommend it. Interesting. Yeah, I had a lot of nonfiction. I feel like I didn't get to like Dave Grohl memoir I'm very interested in and Three Girls from Bronzeville. Have yes, you guys yeah. heard of that one? No, I haven't. I see it on our shelf all the time. I always put it up on like display like someone check. It out. Yeah, so it's a woman who's writing about herself and two or three friends who are all women of color from their childhood through their adulthood and what their life paths have been and how they've diverged from each other and what might be the forces that made that happen. Hmm. And it sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited to read that one. The nonfiction stuff always ends up on my, oh, I would love to read that. Yeah. Maybe I don't always get to it. One on the times list is the, uh, what's it called? It's the Empire of Pain which is about the Sackler dynasty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's by the author Patrick Redden Keefe, who did Say Nothing a couple of years ago, which is about the Troubles in Ireland, definitely on lists like this. A lot of rave reviews, including my wife, Stacy, who cites it constantly. So I have to read that book and I have to read Empire of Pain, so. Oh, yeah, I have some nonfiction on my list, too. I mean, I just found out this morning that Anne Padgett has a new book of essays called These Precious Days, and there is an essay in there that actually, Adrian, you shared with me that is about Anne Padgett's relationship with Tom Hanks' assistant, which is so weird. <laughs> excited about that. And I love, love, love Ann Patchett's memoir, This is the Story of a Happy Marriage. So I'm really excited to read this book. There's also Clint Smith's How the Word is Passed. I'm a huge fan of mm-hmm. Clint Smith's poetry, and I'm excited to read that one. He's a phenomenal writer. And then there's a couple books of poetry that I didn't know came out this year. Louise Glove yes. wrote a book and a book of poetry, and that came out this year. Read a Dove wrote a book and that came out this year. I went year, to so. put that Louise Gluck book on our best of display. Yeah. It's checked out. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I have some fiction too. I'm reading the sentence by Louise Erdrich right now. I'm reading Patricia Lockwood's No One Is Talking About This. Both of those are on the list. I'm excited about those. Mm-hmm. I always feel like there's such a long list that I end up not getting to though. Yeah. You got to kind of whittle it down to your yeah. top five and then here comes 2022. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't accept that I'm not going to read all these books. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I find that I just delude myself that yeah. somehow the 40 books that came out this year that I yeah. haven't gotten yeah. to that I'm really excited about 
somehow I'm going to find <laughs> like, time. Three and a half weeks. Let's do this. Like they're just going to stop coming out. Yeah. I mean, even the pandemic didn't really stop books from coming no, out. No. <laughs> it kind of slowed them down for a while. And then, then there was just like yeah. a glut. That yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember the yeah. two Septembers ago, it was just like everything was yep. published. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, my, one of my other favorites that I've been telling a lot of people is the new Lauren Groff book, Matrix, yes. which was yeah. a National Book Award finalist as well, which I love that National Book Award list, the finalist list. I always find yeah. I love those books. I just feel like however their selection process goes is copacetic with my brain. Yep. So that was a great favorite. I read also Cloud Cuckoo Land. Okay, yeah. Which mm-hmm. was so weird. It was so weird, but I loved it. I was riveted, but it's like 800 pages. It's bizarre. But it goes between <laughs> these three timelines. One is the 1400s in Constantinople, mm. right before mm-hmm. it's going to be obliterated. And then there's a present day timeline. And then there's this timeline in the future where this 14 year old girl is stuck in one room on a spaceship and you don't know why. Hmm. And it goes between these three perspectives, three timelines and slowly reveals itself. Like that's my catnip. I yeah. love books like that, that switch and I'm starting to get the picture and I'm not sure how many readers would tolerate it, but I love <laughs> no, it. No, what's the title of that one again? I'm, Cloud, I'm into it. Cloud I, Cuckoo Land okay. by Anthony Doerr. Oh yeah. yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, great. I'm going to have to check that I, one out. I always wonder with concepts like that, how do they come up with that? Like three timelines, Constantinople, present day, and then a, a room in a spaceship. Like where does that come from? And the research that I think went into this yeah. because, you know, there's this historical fiction aspect and then this far future aspect, but then the timeline in the present gets into, it's a Korean war veteran. So then you get a lot of his life through the Korean war and what his experience was like and the specificity in the setting of his present day. And he just wrote a book. I mean, all the late we cannot see was two or three years ago. And I'm like, how did he yeah. research and write this? Magic, thing? the magicians. I mean, I like the, the work that they put into it is incredible. And yeah. to go back to the Lauren Groff Matrix book, also the research that she did. I think she had like another idea for a book and she like stumbled upon, what's the premise of that one one more time? The... So it's a nun from, I want to say that also was the 1400s, yeah, wasn't yes. it? And she wasn't a nun. She was a cast off yeah. in a court who got put into a nunnery, which happened to a lot of people mm-hmm. in those days, difficult women. And so she goes and she hates it. You know, she's got no calling at all, but she slowly starts taking the place over and making it this powerful place for her and these other nuns who really don't want to be there. Yeah. But then also parallel, there are nuns who have a calling there. So it's an hmm. interesting dynamic too of how she begins to reckon with religion. Yeah. And, you know, it's a very modern perspective, mm-hmm. but also it was so rooted in the time was, and yep. what was possible for people. Interesting. She's fantastic, I think. That book, I said this on your program at Henrietta. Like if I saw that premise and I didn't know who the author was, I was like, no, I'm okay. I'm good on that. But Lauren Groff's name on it, I'll read it. Whatever it is, she's one of my favorite authors, Fates and Furies, Florida. She's fantastic. Can't recommend her enough. Yeah, that was one of those premises that if it didn't have her name, I never would have picked it up. I'm like, book about nuns? Yeah. <laughs> Distant past? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Lauren Groff, though, I'm sold. It was a page turner. Yeah, and her writing is just, it's its beautiful. You get just locked into it and, and drawn up into that world and you see everything she's doing. It's fantastic. Mm, I'm going to have to check that book out. So let's talk about some books that we thought didn't get enough attention this 
this year. Absolutely. I think it's been a difficult year for everybody for a lot of reasons and for people to get the word out mm-hmm. about books. And somebody, an author who I'm always trying to talk about is TJ Klune. Have you guys read him yet or paid attention to I him? I know no. the name. He did a great book last year. The name is Escaping Me. But this year he has this Under the Whispering Door which is a light speculative fiction. So there's a tea shop that is a portal between the world of the living and the world of the dead. And so you you go to this tea shop and you spend some time there before you you pass on. And so it's set there and it's this guy who it's focused on who has died. Mm -hmm. He didn't live a good life. And he kind of goes to this space and starts to reckon with that before he moves to the next place. But it is the warmest, sweetest <gasps> book, even though you hear that this like kind of yeah. sad concept. Like it just makes you smile, but also it's very deep. And that's what this guy does. That's his niche. And I feel like in certain circles you hear about his books, but I can't believe they aren't hitting a wider readership mm-hmm. because they're they're just so great. My pick would be What Strange Paradise by Omar Elakad, which mm-hmm. it, like Adrian's pick, it did appear on the New York Times 100 Notable Books, but it, it's not really well known. I saw it just just sitting on the shelf downstairs a minute ago. So mm-hmm. it's yeah. just not getting checked out. And it's a short book. It's about the, you know, the migrant crisis overseas. And it does this before and after thing where the main characters, you know, on the boat trying to, to get free or trying to go to a better place. And then it does the after where he lands, where he ends up. And uh, it kind of goes back and forth between that. You know, it's empathy driven, but there's this undercurrent of anger. It reminds me of, in a way, um, from the previous year, uh, Ayat Akhtar's Homeland Elegies, where it's, it gets in your face about the indifference to people who are not you and to, to the other and all that kind of stuff. And for me, those kind of books always hit me, hit me hard. Mm. And it has a beautiful cover. It has a fantastic cover. Yeah. It's like this pink and yellow kind of fade it's thing like, gone. Yeah. yeah. I know. I pick it up just on the cover alone. And yeah. He's I do a that great, all the time. He's a great author. Yeah. As librarians, and I think the public doesn't know this, but don't you get really sad when you see books that you love just sitting on the shelf? Yes. Yeah. You're like, why, why is nobody taking my book? Nobody That's, loves my book. That's the one I love. No, no. Why, why is it sitting there? And then you like you try to put it in more and more prominent yeah. places. Yeah, I <laughs> and love any, doing it. Anytime somebody's like, "Can you suggest something to me?" I'm like, "Boy, do I have a book for you!" <laughs> <laughs> I like to watch people as they're like about to pick it up. I'm like, please, 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 please yeah. pick it up. Nothing. And then they look and they're like, eh, "Oh, and they put oh it back. Heart, yeah. heartbreak." Sad. Yeah. Well, yeah. You never know when that lightning is going to strike for a book, though. It's hard to predict from year to year what's going to be the book with 600 holds, like, right. which is a good segue. Kristen Hanna's yeah. "The Four Winds," which we'll be doing a book club discussion with with Roberta the one and only so if you haven't read that yet all three of you out there uh, pick it up and read it it is on my best of this year yeah one of our colleagues said that when she finished it she threw it on the floor and then she kicked it it was a personal copy not a library copy <laughs> so when a book has that kind of reaction I'm like what I is felt it? What? the same yeah. way <laughs> you like uh, punted it like yeah. <laughs> that's the best book talk I've ever heard <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she gave such a great play by play of it too she was like she was like still mad about it. It was great. I, and I, I it's kicked been, that book. It's been months since she yeah, read it. And yeah. I, when I finished it and talked to her about it, she was like, wasn't it so enraging? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Chris and Hannah's The Four Winds. It's so good. Okay. What a year. What a year. A lot of books. I think we, I'm impressed. We ran through a lot of books there. Yeah, sure yeah. did. Yeah. I think we gave the listeners like a lot to 
to digest if they haven't if there's still some uh, yeah knew how to write quickly for this one. yeah exactly yeah. maybe we'll we'll put out a list of everything we talked about in here all 58 books i think that we mentioned yeah, probably okay. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much adrian for coming on this was a real treat uh, to have our number one fan as we know uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for having me of course yes and we're we're big fans of you too oh thank you so we're going to get right into it, right? We're bring, That's right. We're bringing back our colleague, Roberta, who's a page here at Pittsburgh Community Library. Yep. And we're going we're gonna to get into The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna, which was the, probably the most popular book. I would say this, honestly, I feel like this was maybe the biggest fiction book in years. At times, we had over 600 holds on this book. Yeah, and that dwarfs actually, which That's shocked big. me, Where the Crawdads Are. Was that the name of that where book? Where the Crawdads Sing. Where the Crawdads Sing, right. thank yes. you. Which was incredibly popular a couple of years ago. And this just really... This one was even bigger. Yeah, it blew in like the four winds, you might say. <gasps> <laughs> well, welcome, Roberta. Thank you for having me again. Yes, we're excited for another podcast book club. Yeah, we should say right off the bat, yes. right? Spoiler alert. We need alerts. to give a huge spoiler alert on this. If you haven't read this book yet, pause the podcast, go read the book. Come back and listen, because we're probably going to spoil a few things. Yeah, for sure. So what's this book about? This book is about a woman in in the Dust Bowl era, in the panhandle of Texas. It's about her life from the time when she is in her mid-20s up till she's around 40. And it really covers everything that is big in her life, everything that really changes who she is. It follows those changes. So it covers her marriage, her kids, her relationship with her family, how the depression and the Dust Bowl affected her life, what she did to try and change her life and the ways that her growth as a person affected the people around her. Mm -hmm. So it's a fascinating and dare I say heartbreaking book. I did cry many times while I was reading this book. It is very sad. It is. It's, it's so like sad. all of her rites of passage were yeah. painful. Yes, you they know, were. From, from leaving to loving to ultimately relationships of yeah. all sorts oh my gosh seriously and it, it seems like she can't change anything in her life without experiencing some sort of pain poor elsa that's her name elsinore right yes elsinore a, you know, they say in writing a lot, what you're supposed to do with your main character is you put them up in a tree and you throw rocks at them throughout the mm. story and just keep it going. Man. That happened to her. She, yeah, rocks. I don't know. Like they were throwing everything at her. Like this was, yeah. for the first half of the book, it felt like a grind to me. Like, yeah. like wow, how is this going to get better for this character? I know. It is like, there's no, it was, it was bleak. It was downhill bleak. for 200 pages. Downhill, exactly right. And honestly, it felt like I was reading The Road by Cormac McCarthy at some point. I was like, oh, this is getting like, once they hit the road and actually leave yeah. town to go look for a better life, it felt like a post-apocalyptic novel, which yeah. perhaps it was like in the Dust Bowl. I wasn't there. Yeah, no, me neither. <laughs> Crazy as that is. Totally agree. It did feel post-apocalyptic. At one point, they have to leave Texas, she and her two children. Oh, I always forget the daughter's name. Lenora? Oh, we talked about this. Yes. Oh, like Laredo. 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 An aunt. Yeah, yeah, her daughter, who's 13, really, for the bulk of the book. Yeah. An aunt, her seven or eight-year-old son. I don't remember how old he is, but it, it felt like they were traveling through this, this weird sort of jump, right? There was no civilization around them. There no. was no support around them. It didn't 
feel like anything that was normal for us to experience. It was a very different world. Yeah, and the, the strongest part of the book for me was the first half, maybe the first two-thirds of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, man, she paints a picture. You can, can taste the dirt, right? Like, yeah. in the, you could see yeah. the dried earth and the animals, the farm animals or the dry mouse. It was, yeah. it was grim and depressing. It really was. Mm-hmm. And every time a dust storm came through, yeah. I, I sort of, like, cringed. I was like, ooh. Yeah, for me, like, when I when I heard about it being, you know, uh, publicized, it reminded me, like, of the Grapes of Wrath. Yes. Mm, yeah. You know, like, I don't know if she was trying to mimic, like, for a new generation, a Steinbeck novel. Mm-hmm. And then the characters of the strong women mm-hmm. always broke through, yeah. you know, whether it was her or some of the other women, which reminded me of Willa Cather. Yeah. Mm. So if anybody out there loves those type of books, mm-hmm. the Willa Cather series, you know, Old yeah. Pioneers, this is a book for them. No doubt about it. Yeah. This kind of book with the Dust Bowl, those photos are really the only thing that I'm sure I learned more about it in school, but it's yeah. what stuck with me, right? And, me too. Yeah. I mean, I feel like those photos are so bleak. Yeah, definitely. Right? And it, they stick in your mind. You could see them in your head. Yeah. But this kind of book... Uh, even though it's fiction, it, it fleshes it out for you, even though, you know, of course, right. it's not all factual. And she even admits at the end that, you know, she kind of tinkered with the timeline and stuff, but that's fine. But what I love about it is that oftentimes here at the library, when we're working, folks will come in and they'll be looking for books and you hear them. A lot of people say this. They say, I only want to read nonfiction. I don't have time for fiction because right. it's fake. However, a book like this kind of really reminds you how powerful fiction can be yeah. because it does. It connects the dots, right? And it makes it, it brings it to life even if it's not the true story it and it makes you interested in it and then maybe guess what you go back and you research some more and you read about it so i think that's this kind of book shows you this historical fiction type book shows you the importance of fiction and how it can still be how it can still matter in a real world kind of way yeah i totally agree and i think that's one of those things that when you get history class in school you get a very brief snapshot of what happened at that time and it may not be the snapshot that really tells the true story of millions of people. So you hear about the WPA and FDR's New Deal and Great Depression and, you know, Hoover Towns, as they were called. But you don't necessarily hear a ton about the people who they had to leave their homes. Millions of people had to leave their homes because they, just like the little boy in this book, they they physically could not live there anymore because they were getting sick from the the dust Mm -hmm. or because they couldn't make any money on their farms anymore. You know, there were a number of reasons that people would have left, but that's not something I ever learned about, not something that I ever heard about. And it was the fate of millions of people. Right. And, and history can tend to be very dry. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so I do love historical fiction. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a huge bestseller now. All yeah. of these oh, yeah. books. It World really is. War II, The Holocaust, then you have this book. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what's important is that what she does is she makes the land mm-hmm. a character in yes. itself. No doubt. You know, like she personifies the land as this very ferocious, you know, enemy yeah. of the people. Mm-hmm. Not only the poverty and the migrants. Right. But the land itself is a, is a very strong character in this book. And and what's interesting is you see a couple time jumps in this book. So at the beginning, they're friends with the land. You know, if, if we're talking personification, right. they really are friends with the land. They have a very positive relationship with their land. It is um, for Rose and Tony, um, Ella, Elsa's 
in-laws the people that she lives with who become like parents to her they came over from italy to america to make a new life for themselves they found this land and this was the place that they were going to spend their entire lives yeah they spent so much time working it and so much time caring for it and they felt like if they didn't live here if they weren't part of this land then their lives were for nothing right right and it betrayed them and it not literally blows open the land right yeah like it cracks open that's when it really the breaking point right when it's just right they're right. literally shatters right just it, there's just a the earth opens up and it says you are not wanted here no anymore. more yeah right. it's a, yeah that's a great point the land as a character there i also think that the time that we're living now you know there's such great division in this country mm-hmm. and i don't know if she intended to make any political statements but she really does offer like the two divisions of the country mm-hmm. during the dust bowl where there's such hatred of yeah. strangers yeah right they call them the okies they say we don't want your kind here mm-hmm. you know they call them Denied un-americans everywhere right. yeah so it's a very timely piece because we have that kind of division now in america yeah. you know the immigrant the right. migrant and i think that maybe you know she was trying to make some some sort of message within her book. I wouldn't be surprised. It, it feels like analogous to the current situation. It, there's there's a very clear divide between, like you said, the Okies, the, the poor people, the people who live in poverty. Exactly. And then the state, they always refer them to them as just, they live in this state. They're state residents. They deserve to be here because they pay taxes here. That's why you can use the hospital. You right. know, they, they were denied entry to the hospital multiple times. And that division is very interesting too. That's really what jumped out to me too, uh, Roberta, when I was reading it, was I was like, wow, she's really drawing a, a clear line right here between, for me, it was, you know, the migrant crisis, the border crisis that she was really saying, hey, this is the same thing that's happening now. And mm-hmm. again, to go back to the point about fiction, it's important too. It's like, it just makes you think about everything, right? About life and the way things work. And it, she did a great job of that. And, and the uh, author's note at the end, she talked about how she was putting the finishing touches on the book during the COVID crisis, True. 2020, the main, you know, the bulk of that. And she talked about how it was very similar to that. That where I, you know, I didn't, I get it too. Like, obviously that there's a lot of lines you can draw there between what we went through last year and continue to go through this year. But for me, and she said she started writing this in 2017. I think Mm -hmm. it's definitely, you could tell that the border crisis kind of played a major role in in the way she approached the book. Yeah, I think she did it very subtly, you know. And I I read The Nightingale by her Mm -hmm. and The Great Alone. Those were the only two others because I know that she's got a history of other fiction books. But she always is very carefully like demarcates the good versus Mm -hmm. the bad. Yeah. Yeah. You always know who's the good people and who's not the good people. Yes. You know, and so she's very clever in in allowing her readers to understand that and to, to take sides if necessary. Yeah, if I were to offer a criticism, I would say maybe, I mean, some of the characters are really, she's hitting you over the head with a hammer about how, like the the parents are in the beginning, man. They're bad. They're rough rough stuff, man. (laughs) The welties, you know, and the the folks at the hospital. They're caricatures. They're caricatures, but it works though, because I was mad. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I did not like those people. I was like, why would you hurt my friend, Elsa? That's how I felt. It feel like that was maybe the biggest strength of the book is that I felt so deeply for this character. Mm-hmm. And she did a fantastic job writing these characters that we cared about. All those bad people set up the good people, right? Like, and people call this book a tearjerker and stuff. And like, I didn't have that exact experience, but there was one scene that got to me. It was uh, when she goes to get her hair cut for the yes. daughter and they're like, okay, we'll do it and we'll give you clothes. I was like, huh. I texted our colleague Kelly. I'm like, it's getting a little dusty in here. <laughs> 
<laughs> and also when she takes her children to the school. Yes. And she yes. tries yes. to have them, you know, educated. Yeah. And, and what a rough time she finds. I love that she steals the, uh, or just takes, she didn't steal them, the uh, peanut butter and pickle sandwiches. I'm like, yeah, yeah you go. Yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah, she tries to fight for her children throughout the whole book. Yes, she's, and, she really um, does. And she's really an exemplary mother. We've talked about this a little bit, Roberta. The relationship between Elsa and Lenora is, is that the right Lareda. name? Lareda. Every yes, time I, I always get her name wrong. That relationship is so interesting. It's so complicated and messy. And I feel like it's so true to life. Right. Having that relationship between the mother and the daughter wanting to like have your child love you and think of you in the same way that you do of them. But also she's 13. She's right. she fights her at every turn. She tells her she hates her. She says, you ruined my life. All these things. But then ultimately at the end, there's redemption there and I just that relationship for me that that dynamic was probably the most powerful part of the book yeah there's definitely growth so you're gonna yeah. you're gonna apologize to your mother on air right now yes I'm <laughs> so sorry mom for being a terrible teenager <laughs> <laughs> well you know not to spoil it but we did say we mentioned spoilers true I mean, she, yes. she's left as a single mother yeah she is yeah. Yeah. and and the, the father was idolized by, you by know, the daughter, the daughter. Rafe. and then oh, yeah. when when Even he his goes name. yeah when he goes her world is is shattered and she blames her mother she blames her mother even though he's an adult who made a choice I blames her mother. I was kind of hoping we would uh, run into Rafe once more at the end. And like, I, you know, you kind of want to see him get like in hockey where they pull the sweater over and kind of like push and dump him in a garbage can somewhere. Like he <laughs> never got his. Like I was a little disappointed that yeah. they didn't just bump into him somewhere. But I, yeah. that's more, I guess it was being real about it. So being real, I also kind of feel like that ex- exit for him was a real, it's a shutting down of that relationship ever working. Yeah. Right. He never loved her. He was never going to love her. And she had to give up on that. Yeah. And, and if we saw him again, I think that would be, it would only be confirmation of that fact. Yeah. Right. And there must have been, you know, thousands of men like him who yeah. felt that they just sure. couldn't yeah. handle everything that was thrown at them. So they went their own way. Right. Not that that forgives him in any way. No. But it does make her a stronger character for it. Absolutely. She does find love again with she does. probably my least favorite character in the book. Really? Yeah. He didn't do anything for me. Jack Valent. <laughs> Comrade Jack Valent. I, I don't know. That's when the book really kind of like where are we going? I didn't feel it was necessary, but yeah. I was glad for the happiness that it brought her. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because she struggled enough. <laughs> yes, that's true. All right. I'll give give Jackie boys due there. Okay, but. good. Yeah, good. that was the political issue, right? Yeah. Right. She brings up the Reds and the communism. Yeah. So that's another issue that's brought up, you know. Which, and, which um, is fine. Really but I, it felt workers like. Workers' rights. Yeah. yeah. And not that, that yeah, hey, I'm all for it, but like. I will say that felt like a left turn to me. Yeah, it was like a, one too many plot lines or just like yeah. big, big ideas in there. You I know, don't know. Sometimes you read a book and you really know the through line of it. Yeah. One of the books that you and I or actually all three of us raved about this year was Migrations. Yeah. Right. And you, that book has a beginning and it continues on to the end. I don't feel like there's a, a change in course at right. any point. Her purpose is really very clear from the beginning. And this one, I would not have seen the end from the beginning. And they do circle back, but I thought we're going to circle back with the the grandparents and get back to the land. Right. I, that's kind of where I thought it was going. And, and not that I don't like to be surprised. And, you know, I like books that leave me unhappy or, or feeling 
strongly about it and like the decisions they made. But right. I don't know. I kind of felt like this book was taking me somewhere and it kind of went off yeah, a different path. I see what you mean. I think sometimes, so this book has an epilogue that is four years in the future, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes authors do themselves a disservice in adding an epilogue because it, and do their characters a disservice because it really put, puts a period on the characters mm-hmm. and their lives and you don't get to imagine something different for them. Yeah. Not to say that it was a mistake here, but I would have preferred not to have the time jump, I suppose. Right. You know, if we could have seen them in Texas again, it, but it's the same time. Yeah. See them reuniting with their grandparents. I think I would have liked out a little bit more. I and, love the grandparents. I want to yeah, see them the again. I want to spend more time. Amazing. They're great. Yeah. 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 And as immigrants, they were portrayed very strongly. Yeah. Yes. They, I think you know. she nailed that. No doubt I about agree. it. So uh, what would you say out of five stars? What would you would you give it? Despite all of the all of the things that I can say that I didn't didn't love about it, I mean, overwhelmingly everything was love about this book. Good. I would give it a five. Nice, nice. I read it first. Yeah. Time was four. Yeah. So I'd up it to four point five because I don't know when you read it again. Sometimes you notice things, but I give her credit, Chris, yeah. Kristen Hanna, because you know her books on mm-hmm. her shelf are very uh, different now. Yeah. She's taken like a different turn. From She's being a, yeah. the romance mm-hmm. rom com yeah. writer to now more of a literary writer, yeah, yeah. and uh, that's a great leap because the Nightingale. If if people haven't read the Nightingale, I would definitely that's recommend the one, right? That that's the well. number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this this does measure up to that as well. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm. Uh, I don't know. I I want to say I'm probably going to come in at three point five. I, I it was really going great for me on the road to four and a half or something, but I I kind of just and it might be me. I, okay. I lose focus sometimes and. Uh, but with that said, I would wholeheartedly recommend this book. And yes. it's going to be one of those books that people come in. They, I'm looking for a good book to read. And right. I don't know. And, and going to go right to this book because I know this book is it's something that everyone could get their hands on and enjoy. And just yeah. really, it's worth reading, I'd say. I agree. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun. That We it did. Was. We just uh, covered the most popular book of 2021. Pretty exciting. Yeah, it was. Kristen Hanna and the Four Winds. Great book. Yeah. We Re- look forward to our next one. We look forward to the next Absolutely. one. Absolutely. And I think we give it a three person recommendation here to the readers yes three thumbs the listeners. up three thumbs up three thumbs up <laughs> all right so we've reached the recommendation portion of our show that's right and we have a very special guest for this section we're going to be doing this over the next few episodes where we introduce one of our new staffers and let yeah. them introduce a book that they've enjoyed we have a bunch of new awesome people at the library and we are so excited to hear about their favorite books yeah, yeah right and we're going to kick it off with our office mate megan, yes the one and only megan. i sit right next to her you megan do. here's megan <laughs> My name is Megan Paikinen. I've been working here at Pittsford for about four months now. I am currently going to school to hopefully become a librarian. A book I would recommend is one I'm reading right now called Between Two Kingdoms by Sulika Jacquard. It's a book about cancer and recovery, and it's just a very inspiring, thoughtful book. All right. Well, that was a ton of fun. Yeah, it really was. Felt good to get back on the horse. Yeah, and I think that this was just a great way to start season number two. Definitely. And our next episode, we're not going to take our foot off the gas, I don't think. No, I don't think so. We have an absolutely incredible conversation with the one and only Kevin Beckford. Yeah, the town of Pittsford zone. Yeah, he is currently on the board of the town of Pittsford. He's not going to be on the board this coming term, but he has this fantastic Martin Luther King Jr. series that is throughout the month of January. It's just a fantastic conversation. Yeah, we're going to break down all the four different pieces of those events. They're going to take place here at the Pittsford Community Library. Yeah, we touch on the history a little bit. It's just a fantastic conversation. Yeah, so check us out in a couple of weeks. We'll be back. Till then, we'll see you then, right? Talk soon.
Thank you to Maldez, producer, librarian, and magician. Joy Brown, RIT director. Laura, April, and Hillary for our fantastic theme music. The Town of Pittsburgh and the Friends and Foundation for support of the library and giving us the ability to do such awesome projects. And to the New York Times, find the library on Facebook and Instagram at Pittsburgh Community Library and keep up to date on everything happening at PCL by subscribing to our newsletter. Subscribe to hear new episodes every month on your favorite podcast app.